Welcome to Grace, everybody. Uh, good to have you here. There's some folks looking for seats still. So if uh, you want to uh, raise your hand a little bit or make a new friend or, you know, if you're single, I'm just saying, um, you know, uh, make some room for some folks to sit down. It's a great time to remind you about Saturday services. There's free parking and more seats. And uh, it's fantastic. And we take everybody to Fleming's afterwards. So you can come on that. And uh, let me remind you about the extension. So the extension is two miles away. Uh, the extension always starts a half hour after the services here on Gent Road. And so it's a great option. It will save the fight in the Honda Odyssey minivan on your way to church. So uh, check that out as well. I want to uh, lean into this real heavily, this life group uh, push and launch that we're doing. If you have a program, grab this piece of paper, take it out. If you have a uh, app, open it up. There's a link on the app there. If you don't have either one of those things, then you're going to probably want to write this on your face. Okay, so um, look at these things. I really, really want you guys to consider trying a life group here. Um, what we're doing uh, in March, coming up here in a couple weeks, and we do this once in a while. Every few years, uh, I'll write a new book. And so the new book that I just finished is called Five Assumptions About God and Why It's Wrong, or Why They're Wrong. Um, that what we'll do is kind of for fun, we'll take that book and we'll have everybody go through it. And we'll use it as a way to launch new groups. And what's fun about it is the whole church will sync up on kind of one set of conversations. So uh, from kindergarten through uh, junior high, high school, all the way through, we'll all be having that conversation together. And uh, I'll talk about that. Uh, that book here in the services, and then you can read it, and then we'll gather in groups and discuss that and connect with each other and have deeper conversations about it. <clears throat> so this is a big, big deal here at Grace. And uh, if you're not in a group, this is the perfect opportunity to try a group, all right? So they, they're going to last five weeks. If you don't like it after five weeks, you can duck out. I promise you, you're going to love it and find a lot of value out of it. But there's a natural exit if it's not for you. Uh, but it's a great way to jump in and try it, okay? If you're in a, uh, if you were in a group that has broken up because of campusing, right? So Grace starts new campuses. In fact, the Ellet campus launches today. They are two hours old and they are so cute. And so we, we're so excited about that. So they launched today. So your life group might have broken up or rearranged because people went to the new campus. Um, so this is a great opportunity to jump back into that groove and, and to connect again. So we have 20 new groups. The old groups have seats. There's room for everybody. But we, we really, really want you to do that. I really, really want you to do that, okay? So if you would fill out this piece of paper, if you have it in the program, you put it in the basket. If you're watching on, uh, or if you have it on the app, there's a link on the app. There's a link on the website if you want to do it electronically. And we will help you to connect with the group. If you're watching online right now, listen, look at me. There's hundreds of you, and I know who you are, okay? So this is a great opportunity to come in off the internet and connect with folks here in real time. And so I want you to do this too. You have this link. If you minimize your window, you have the link on the website, you have the link on your app, and sign up for it and be a part of the group, and you'll be a part of this conversation as well, right? So, so consider doing that. So we'd love for you to do it. It's going to be a blast. Kicks off here in a couple weeks. And uh, we want you to sign up for it. Uh, if, if you, if this is, remember we talked about at the beginning of the semester, if this is your big leap forward this year, being a part of biblical community 
is incredibly important for your spiritual growth. So sharing your life with other people, letting them share your life with you, that's a part of how the, the Bible's set up and how Christianity works. So you will like it, and this will be a part of your, of your big leap forward, okay? So, uh, so do that, all right? Okay, we are in a series right now called Assume I Know Nothing, and <clears throat> the premise of this series is that uh, if you walked out of the woods, you had no exposure to the Bible, no exposure to the church, no exposure to the Christian subculture, and you wanted to know about God and His Son, Jesus Christ, where would we even start that conversation, and, and what would we talk about? And uh, what, we, what we said is we want to take this semester at Grace, so Assume I Know Nothing, we're walking you from the very, very beginning through... And then kind of assume I know nothing, part B is five assumptions about God. And then there's a part C after that. And we said, if you'll take this semester, and if you knew nothing, we're going to put all those cards on the table for you. You do with them whatever you want to do with them, but we'll try to get the information in a logical, sequential order and get it all out there so that at least you can get your head around it and you can make that, that big move spiritually if you want to. So in, in this series, Assume I Know Nothing, we started with the Bible. We just talked about the Bible and what it is, where it came from, why we believe it's the words of God, and we should accept it that way. Uh, next, we talked about the origin of man and the origin of good and evil. And so we looked at Genesis, and we saw that mankind was created to be in a perfect, unfettered relationship with God, and actually a perfect, unfettered relationship with each other. And then sin came into the picture, and we call it the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, they fell away from the perfect place that they were created to be in. And so the fall happened. Sin became our human nature. Nobody ever taught you to lie. Nobody ever taught you to be selfish. Nobody ever taught you to steal. You do that on your own. So the, the, the sin now is a predominant part of our life. Then last weekend, or the next weekend, we talked about restoration and faith. After the fall, what was God's reaction? His reaction was to bring restoration, to, find, to help us know ways to get back to Him. And we looked at Abraham. And what does God want from us? He wants our faith, right? Then last weekend, we said, okay, why does God tell us to do stuff then? Uh, a, a fair criticism of the Bible is that it's a book of do's and don'ts. That, that's, there's truth in that. that. Don't argue that point. There's truth in that. It's no big deal. But the question is, why? are there do's and don'ts. And we said because sin is our nature, we don't even know that we're sinning. It because, nobody tells you to lie, nobody tells you to steal. So someone has to come in from the outside and say, lying is bad, it will hurt you and people. Stealing is bad, it will hurt you. The truth has to be imported because the sin is what's natural. So that's why God gives the law. That's why he tells us to do things because we would never know that on our own, right? Uh, all these kids being dedicated, right? What's going to happen is they're, gonna, they're so cute and cuddly, and then they're going to turn around and look at their mama and say, no, like that. And mommy's going to have to look and say, hey, she's going to have to bring the law in, right? She's going to have to look and say, listen, first of all, little demon child, you don't talk to me that way. And secondly, you don't say no to mommy. This is what's right. She didn't have to teach the kid to talk like that, right? None of us do. But we have to teach our children what is right. So God, as a father, teaches us. That's why he gives the law. And the foundation of that law is what we call the Ten Commandments, okay? And so we set all that up. So if, if you missed any, or if you just want to catch all that, this is all lays out kind of an order. 
And if you want to catch up with it, you can go out to our website, graceohio.org. You can watch it, listen to it there. If it's your first time here, you've never been here before, and you want to catch up, and you're seeing me, and you're like, he's hot, right? That, I'm on the internet. So you can, you can catch all that in order and look at that podcast through iTunes for free if you want, the app, the whole nine yards, and all that information is there, okay? Now, the next step in this conversation is the one that I want to take us through this weekend, and, and it's this. So the Bible says this, when, when, when I look at God, I know God's law, so God has made me aware that I'm a sinner. I know now what God wants me to do. The Ten Commandments is the foundation. Don't kill, don't steal, don't, you know, all this kind of things, murder, all this kind of stuff. So I know now what God wants me to do. We said last weekend, when I reject that or ignore that, I'm actually rebelling against God. So because I'm no longer like ignorant of my sin, like I know that I'm not supposed to snap at my mom, right? So now when I do it, I'm not, there's no innocence in it. Now I just have an attitude toward my mom because the truth has been brought in. So this is the way that our relationship with God works. Now that I know the truth and I know the law, when I ignore the law or defy the law or ignore God uh, or defy God, I'm actually rebelling against God, right? Now, that process, that whole thing is a big part of the Bible and a big part of our interaction with God. And what's, what you're going to see is this. When I rebel against God, what am I supposed to do? Because the Bible will actually say this quite a bit. The Bible will say, you need to repent of your sin. The Bible will say you need to flee evil. You need to put the old ways behind you. You need to rid yourself of these certain things. The Bible does this repentance, walk away from thing a lot. So what does that mean? How do I repent? What what does it mean to turn from my sin? And how does that all, when the Bible tells me those things, how is all that supposed to play out in real time, okay? So in our conversation about the Bible, what I'm gonna do here we talked about Moses and the Ten Commandments last weekend. I'm going to move us forward 700 years. So th- this, this series is about the big, big, big picture of the Bible. Okay, so we're going to move, we're going to fast forward 700 years, and we're going to talk about a guy named Isaiah. Okay, so Isaiah is where we're going to study here th- this weekend. Now, over that 700 years, a lot of stuff has happened. Okay, so over that 700 years, like, some familiar stories like Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, uh, David fought Goliath in that 700 years, right? The nation of Israel is, has been established as the people of God. So the judges have come in, the prophets have come in, like all that has been happening over, over those, those 700 years. As we look back from Isaiah 59, where we're going to be this weekend, all the way back to the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 20, 700 years, what we're going to see is a pattern, okay? We're going to see a pattern. People have been given the law. They're now aware of their sin because God loves us. He's trying to instruct us, protect us, restore us, so we're aware of our sin. And now they know what to do and not to do, and a pattern starts to emerge from the, from the people of God. And here's the pattern. There is a time like in Exodus chapter 20, where the people embrace the law. God's like, I love you. You love me. If you follow me, I will bless you. I will protect you. I will will give you what you need if you rebel against me, okay? So the people signed up. They're like, we're all in because we love the blessing thing. And then the pattern kicks in. People will embrace it. 
Usually it's a generation or two, and they will then rebel against it. So there's an embrace, and then there's a rebellion. When they rebel, God will intervene, usually through some form of discipline. So God will intervene because He doesn't want them to lose sight of Him, so He'll intervene. When He intervenes, they repent, okay? And after they repent and restitution is made, they are restored to their relationship with God. So that's the pattern. There's a rebellion, a repentance, a restoration. A rebellion, a repentance, a restoration. By the way, this is what I look like at any giving wedding reception, right? So a, re a rebellion, a repentance, and a restoration. And I want us to see that pattern. This pattern, I told you a couple weeks ago, when we look at Israel, when we look at Israel, you should not just interchange yourself with Israel in the Bible. You would wind up re reading the Bible incorrectly. But one of the things we do do we look at Israel and we can see the patterns of the human nature of Israel are the same patterns that we have. So we see ourselves in these things. It's a foreshadowing of what we are like, all right, in our interaction with God. And it, it's a rebellion, a repentance, a restoration, all right? Let me show it to you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 59, it's page 515 in the Bibles that are in the chairs there. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you want a printed copy, just keep that, please. We'd love for you to have it. And then, of course, everything's on your app, okay? So Isaiah chapter 59, <clears throat> this is what's happening. <clears throat> Isaiah, when the people would rebel, God would often send a prophet. So Isaiah is a prophet. He's a major prophet, right? So there's major prophets, there's minor prophets. So Isaiah would come in. And that prophet would tell the people what God said. So God would interact with that prophet in a, in a supernatural way. And then that prophet would kind of quote God to, to the people. So Isaiah 59 is a record of the people and God working back and forth. And we'll pick it up with the people's rebellion. So they have rebelled against God. They have ignored the law. They know what's right. They just don't care. And they're doing whatever they want to do. God is in the, we're going to walk in the middle of God holding the people accountable for their sin and holding him, them accountable for their rejection and their rebellion of him, okay? So Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, up on the screen, this is what God says. He, he looks at them and he says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will, he will not hear, Okay, so God is, this is God talking to the people <clears throat> who are in rebellion, and he's being very straightforward with them. He says, listen, your iniquities, your sin, your rebellion have separated you from God. I didn't separate from you. I didn't give up on you. I didn't, I, I didn't look and say, oh, this relationship isn't working out. I didn't do it. You did it. Your iniquity is separated from you, God. Your sins ha have hidden his face from you. You sinned, you rebelled, you rejected. That has caused now a separation between you and me. I want to be close with you. I want to be in that relationship you were created to be in. But your sin, I can't, I, I'm a holy God. I cannot tolerate your sin. So you have separated and your sins have hidden my, his face from you. That, that idea of hiding the face, <clears throat> it's kind of like, it's, it's a big concept, but in a nutshell, it's kind of like God's blessing or God's favor, right? 
So, so if, if, uh, if, if I was looking at one of my kids and I said, here's your curfew, and they came home late from that curfew, and they did it on purpose, right? My kids are actually amazing about that stuff, but it, they did it on purpose. They're like, whatever, Dad, I need freedom, right? They've never said that because I would kill them. But, but, right, so, but they, they did that. I would come and I would say, you rebelled. You did this. I'm turning my face from you. You don't get to drive my car anymore. I, I liked blessing you. I liked giving you this no more because you, it, I didn't do anything. I was at home watching, you know, Gold Rush, waiting for you to get home, right? You did it. So I'm turning my face, I'm turning my blessings from you because you separated from my heart. Make sense? So that's rebellion. So God is looking at his people and saying, no, 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 you did this. And this is not like a, a fed up father, which is what my children would walk on into. You know, I've had it. You know, that, that's not what's going on here. God, it's more like how we would think of an intervention. God is looking at his people saying, listen, you cannot keep going this way because you will lose sight and the, the wages of sin is death. You keep walking away from me, you wind up in hell. So I'm intervening and often it was through discipline like in the form of captivity or withholding the rain or something like that so that the folks would snap out of it, they would be aware and, and be conflicted about their rebellion, okay? Now, after that, what Israel did here, what Isaiah is talking about here in chapter 59, is they actually did the right thing. They repented, okay? So that was the next thing. They rebelled, and then they repented. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 59, uh, verses 12 and 13, you see them talking back to God, okay? So here they are. This is them now talking. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. There's taking responsibility. Uh, yeah, we didn't do one thing. We did like 10 things, right? Or a, a gazillion. Our offenses are many. We have violated the law of God, the holiness of God, and our sins testify against us. We are guilty. There is no argument, right? I got nothing, God. I got nothing, right? Our testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and this is huge, these two words. You may want to underline them or write them on your face. And we acknowledge our iniquities. We agree. We accept. Like everything you said in verse 2, yep, that's us. So our offenses, absolutely, they testify against us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, and the verse goes on. We acknowledge our iniquities, our rebellion, we didn't, we didn't like, oh, man, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to steal my neighbor's cow. Like, we did it. We rebelled our treachery. We, tr we worked to undermine God's word and God's people and the leaders he put in our treachery. Turning our backs on God. We didn't, like, stumble into, oh, shucks, a mistake. Like, we, we just ignored and rebelled, inciting revolt. We brought other people into it with us. We let our family into it, our girlfriend into it, our, our, our roommate, right? Uh, and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So, so they are repenting. Like, we did it. We acknowledge it. We did all of it, right? And we repented. We're repenting now 
before a holy God because we have rebelled and rejected his law. Now, I want to I camp here for a few minutes because this, this idea of repentance is an idea that, that in our culture, we don't get our heads around much, okay? It's not the Republicans' fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. Let it go. It, it, it's just the way that we're raised, okay? We're, we're, we're raised in a culture that doesn't understand repentance. So I want to talk about what repentance is because this is a bit, like I said, it's all through the Bible. And it's really, really key to having a relationship with God. And I'll show you at the end how it's actually really, really key to having a relationship with each other, okay? So let's talk about repentance for a minute. Let's start by talking about what it's not, okay? Repentance is not an apology. That's not repentance, okay? Now, in our culture, that's what we see a lot. Uh, and, and, and like I said, it's just the way it is. It's, not, it's no bigger accusation than that, but it's just the way it is. So we see people apologize. So you'll see some politician or some star get in trouble for something, and, and they'll tweet out or say, you know, I'm really, I'm, I really want to apologize, okay? And that's the only way we interact with each other. You go over there, and you apologize to your brother. And so we do, sorry, sorry. And then what, what, does, the, what does the other person do? They'll turn to them and go, what? It's okay, all right? And both of you are lying, right? You're not really sorry, and it's not really, it's okay. That's not true at all. But we, we have kind of, we think like that's what it means to like make things right and repent. That's not, that's not true, okay? So it's not an apology. It's also not feeling bad. That's not repentance, feeling guilty. Like, oh, I feel really guilty that I ripped them off, man. I probably won't sleep for, you know, 10 minutes about that. Uh, it's really, yeah, yeah, I did them wrong. I did them wrong. It, it's, not, it's, not, it's not feeling guilty. I remember uh, years ago when my kids were little, two of our boys, uh, one was about five, one was about three. I won't use their names, but they know who they are, right? Um, my, our five-year-old was on the front porch of the house, uh, surveying the neighborhood, making sure that everything was in order and just. And so he's sitting there making sure that that's happening. And our three-year-old went to the basement of the house, <laughs> uh, picked up an aluminum baseball bat, wound his way through the basement, up the stairs, through the kitchen, through the dining room, through the lobby, into the front porch, and hit his brother in the back of the head with a baseball bat, Right? So I kind of saw all this happen, and I rushed in. I was like, listen, first of all, keep your elbow up. You got to, you know, because you got a parent. You got a parent, right? So I was really upset. He was hitting like this. I'm like, man, right? So, so we fixed that. And then, I, and then I was looking at our five-year-old, and I'm like, Do you, are you bleeding? Do you have wounds? Because, you know, he, he was like screaming like a baby. And so, you know, I'm checking all that out, making sure that he's okay. And he, he lived, right? And so we lived that. And so I look back at our three-year-old, and, and the whole time he's standing there holding the bat, right? He's just holding the bat. And I said, I said, did you just hit your brother? And he looked at me and goes, yes, daddy. <laughs> he's kind of proud about it. And, and, and I, I said, you hurt your brother? I said, did you know that you hurt your brother? Yes, daddy, right? I said, you could have like knocked him out. And I said, listen, listen, are you sorry? 
are you sorry that you hurt your brother? And he goes, yes, daddy. I said, okay. He said, give me that bat. And he looked at me and he goes, no, daddy. <laughs> I said, are you sorry? Are you sorry for what you did? Yes, daddy. You hurt your brother. Yes, daddy. Give me the bat. No, daddy. I said, do you want a spanking? No, daddy. He said, give me the bat. No, daddy. Would not give me the bat. Now, was he sorry? Did he feel bad? Did he repent? It's a very, very, very different thing. So what is God looking for? God's not looking for an apology. He's not looking for you to feel guilty about something. He wants repentance. When I rebel, because that's what I'm doing, right? I'm not like, oh, I know, man, I really got to quit hooking up with people. No, you are rebelling against God, a holy, righteous, your creator God. That's what we've learned so far. So in response to that rebellion, God wants repentance. What is it? So let me describe repentance a little bit, okay? I put some of this on the screen. Some of it you just got to write down. But what, what, what are the characteristics of repentance? Okay, first of all, repentance starts with taking full responsibility for your actions. It starts with taking full responsibility for your actions. Remember, we, we acknowledge not just like the thing we got caught on, but this one, this one, the rebellion, the revolt, the, right? We, we acknowledge it all. Repentance starts with full responsibility for your actions. Let me, let me explain something to you here, okay? If you get caught, you get, you've sinned, and you've sinned against somebody, because that's generally what we do. We sin against God by sinning against each other generally. When I, when I get caught, when I fail, when I sin, when you are talking about how that happened, ready? Anytime you bring someone else or an outside motivation in, you are not repenting. Anytime you bring someone else or an outside motivation in, you're not repenting. So it will sound like this. Um, I should not have got out of my car and punched that guy in front of me. I should not have done that. I was wrong. If he had not been driving like an idiot, I wouldn't have done that. And you have to understand, Your Honor, I have anger issues because my dad had a really bad temper. That's not repentance. Right? It's not repentance. My, the, I, had, I had, you know, real big childhood issues, and that's why I respond to myself, nope, not repentance, right? Now, those childhood issues, is that stuff important? Sure it is. It's very important when it comes to you making life changes to understand your wounds. But you're, you're a grown man. Your dad's infidelity has nothing to do with yours. You are a grown woman. Your mother's temper and control has nothing to do with yours. And someone who is repentant, that stuff's important to understand to build a new life path. It has nothing to do with your rebellion against God, okay? We acknowledge, we did it. That's what Israel's doing. They are repenting. And repentance 
always will start with taking full responsibility. Another characteristic of repentance. Repentance requires total abandonment of sin. It's a total abandonment of sin. This is what happens a lot. When we sin against somebody else, against God, in our culture, what we do is, is we tend to negotiate a truce, okay? We don't tend to repent. So, I'm in a fight with my wife, you know, I, I get mad, I punch a hole in the wall, right? She's upset, I'm upset. I look at her, I say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know what? I shouldn't have done that. And, and I, what we need to do is this. You, you have to, like, let me come home and settle in from a tough day before you attack me in the kitchen. Because when you do that, like, it, it sets me off. So if you'll start giving me, like, 20 minutes to chill out, I won't, I won't punch a hole in the wall anymore. You didn't repent. You negotiated a truce. You're North and South Korea. That's what that is. That's a truce. It's not, it's, nobody won. The war's not over. Right? So you negotiated a truth. Listen, boss, if, if, you, if you will start like acknowledging the, the value I have to this company and like investing in me a little bit, I, I will start putting forth a better effort. Well, aren't you, aren't you the one cutting the corner? Yeah, but you got to understand, that's not repentance. That's a truce. So repentance won't do that. A repentant person is going to walk away from the sin. They're going to reject the sin. They're, they're, they're going to, we, Jesus says, if, you, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And he doesn't mean that literally. He's saying it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a radical move. If this is causing me to sin, it's out of my life. Total responsibility, total abandonment of sin, okay? Another thing that repentance doesn't do, repentance does not draw moral equivalencies, it does not draw moral equivalencies, okay? So this is what happens. You see this all the time in divorce. Most of us grew up this way. We'll, we'll look and say this. Um, you know, I, I know that I had like three affairs, and I really shouldn't have done that. But she's terrible with money. So, so she, she, you know, she, she's as much to blame for this relationship breaking down as I am. What? No, she's not. That's ridiculous, that's a moral equivalency. See, she messed up and I messed up, so it's the same thing. No, it's not. That's not repentance, okay? My, I, I know that I totally like lost it with my parents and I just screamed at them and, and that's the way it is, but you know, every once in a while, they're just unreasonable too. That's a moral equivalency. Well, see, they're sinners and I'm just a, a different type of a sinner, so same thing, nope. Whenever you hear that in your heart and mind or someone else, you're not dealing with someone who's repentant. You're, you're dealing with someone who, who is trying to downplay their rebellion and their rejection of God in you, okay? Another characteristic of repentance. Repentance accepts the total authority of the Bible. It accepts the total authority of the Bible. Someone who is repentant does not approach the Bible and negotiate with the Word of God either, or downplay the word of God. Someone who is actually repentant wants to know more about what the Bible has to say. 
So, you know, pornography, it's just, you know, I, I really struggled with porn, struggled with my whole life, got into it junior high, which most, most kids do, by the way, it starts at age nine. And so it's just been a part of my life and, you know, it's affected my relationships now and I got to do something about that. But, you know, it, you know, there's hardcore porn, there's regular porn, there's softcore porn, then there's like TV porn. And it, like, you know, come on, it, it's, it's a big deal. So this whole thing in Ephesians chapter four and five, like not a hint of sexual immorality, come on. A hint? I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to get rid of my phone. I'd, I'd have to, like, put my computer in the kitchen at night. I'd have to never watch that TV show again to have not a hint. That's not reasonable. That's not repentance. Repentance is looking and saying, oh, a, a hint. Wow. How can I bring my heart in a line meant with a hint. How do I do that? Show me more. Help me more. Empower me, God. Coach me up, spiritual leaders. It's always a total acceptance of the authority of the Bible. The next characteristic, repentance always embraces all consequences. A repentant person will embrace all consequences. Hey, man, I saw you got that term paper done in record time. Yeah. Did you really write that? I wrote portions. Are you sure you didn't go to that website where you can buy term papers or have somebody rewrite it in your own voice? Jeff knows about that website? Yes, Jeff does. Right? Are you sure? You know what I did. Okay? Great. We acknowledge our sin. I did. Right, you think that's a sin, man? I mean, isn't that kind of a lie? Isn't that like commandment number, you know, don't lie? Yeah. It's a sin. It's wrong. It's wrong. Okay. Uh, doesn't, doesn't, the, uh, doesn't your syllabus specifically say that plagiarism is an automatic F? Yeah. Man, it's, it's so you knew it was wrong, and you knew what the rules were. You knew it's a big deal to your prof, right? Right. And you did it anyways? Yeah. Shouldn't have done that. Okay. You should go tell your prof that you plagiarized the paper and take the F. What? Yeah. Oh, flunk. I know. I paid for that class already. Yeah, that's a consequence of your sin. Like you, th that consequence, I'll tell you something, you won't do that twice. i tell you something, that prof might even respect you because he knows you're cheating. I, there's a whole bunch of stuff there. You should take that trial and count it as joy. You should go embrace that consequence. I'm not doing that, man. Well, then you're not repentant. You know, you should go tell your wife. You, tell, you told me it's great. You should tell your wife. I'm not doing that, man. Well, then you're not repentant. You should let your boss know. You know, you, it's great that you feel bad about that expense report. You should go tell your boss that you, you added miles. I'm not doing that, dude. Well, then you're not repentant. You're sorry, but you're not repentant. You haven't engaged the weight of what you've done. Repentance also makes restitution. Makes restitution, right? It's not just I'm sorry. It's, is there anything that I can do to correct it? A great example of this is Zacchaeus in the New Testament. He was an IRS agent, and, and what he, he just ripped everybody off. See, so some things are timeless. So, so he, he ripped everybody off. Jesus 
invited him down, faced him with it. He repented, accepted Christ as a Savior is how we would say it today. And then as a response to that, he's like, I have been wrong. I've been stealing. I'm going to give half of what I want to the poor, and, and I'm going to pay those I stole from, I'm going to pay back fourfold. And he's just like, I'm, I'm going I'm to make it right. I got all this ill-gotten gain. He, he probably couldn't square up every little nickel with everybody, but he, in a repentant heart, he's like, I'm going to do whatever I can do to make it right, because repentance makes restitution. Next characteristics, repentance recognizes a total dependency on God's mercy. Here's the way this works. Repent, a repentant person never demands to be forgiven. A repentant person never demands to be forgiven. Well, you have to forgive me. You're a Christian. Well, you're not repentant. Well, you have to you, you have to, li listen, we've been roommates for three years. I, I, stole, I stole 500 bucks from you like once. Like how long are you going to hold this over my head? Nope. A repentant person looks and says, no, it's, it's, I did it. I acknowledge it. It's my responsibility. And it's, it's your mercy and God's mercy. I never demand grace be given to me. I'm just unbelievably grateful that it is. Right? And the last one I wrote down is repentance withstands the test of time. Withstands the test of time. The best picture of this in our culture is the recovery community. So whether you're in AA or NA or, or here at Grace, we have Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights, the recovery community. So let, let's use alcoholism as an example. It could be drugs, porn, whatever, like, but as an example. So someone intervenes, hey man, your, your alcohol is like destroying you and destroying the people, right? You, you, you're rebelling against God in this area. You have to stop it, okay? The alcoholic, whatever addiction, they repent I acknowledge, first thing, I am an alcoholic, okay? I repent. I go through the process of repentance, by the way, which is the book of James, which is the big book. So that's where Dr. Bob wrote it from. So that is the process of repentance. Confess what I did, make my rights wrong, confess it to somebody, right? The whole nine yards, it's the process of repentance. And then a truly repentant person will do this. They will do what someone who actually wants to overcome their alcoholism will do. They will build a life system to avoid going back to the sin. So I am, I am getting away from alcohol and I, I'm going to a meeting every night. And I'm getting involved in CR on, on, on Fridays, so I can, I'm having new friends. There is no longer any alcohol in my home. I don't go to a bar at all, ever. I avoid all the triggers. Over time, that repentance illustrates itself. I am changing my life. I had an affair. My wife forgave me. I deleted all the numbers. I changed offices. I quit my job to get away from that woman. I got a new phone. I erased all references to her on Facebook. I, I, I travel with a friend now all the time. I want nothing to do with the life that led me to that disastrous sin. And repentance, everything we talked about, responsibility, blah, 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 everything we talked about winds up being a life formation. And over time, you, what, that's how you rebuild trust. You look and say, man, they meant it. 
Like they quit doing it. And with Israel, what they would do is they would go and break down all the false idols. They would get rid of all the false gods. They would reinstitute all the processes of worship that God taught them in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would put all that back in place because they would look and say, what, what, what have we done? We repent and we acknowledge and we acknowledge all of it and that, that winds up being a life system because we never want to go back from being out of the relationship with God that we were created to be in. So repentance, and then what happens then is repentance leads to restoration, but it's a very fascinating process. This is what happens. In our culture, when we think, I'm sorry, we think it's okay. Sorry, it's all right. And we're like, well, we're done, right? So no, sorry, that, that this is not a biblical process of repentance. So it's fascinating what God does. On the path to restoration, God requires a payment for sin. Uh, with Israel, he would look and say, listen, we, God, I rebelled, I repent. And he'd say, great, love you. That repentance is not without consequence. A payment has to be made. And in the Bible, the term for that payment, the idea for that payment is the word atonement. It means payment or restoration. So atonement has to be made. Why? Because God would look and say, guys, it's not a sorry kind of a thing. You, you rebelled against a holy, righteous creator, God. And the Bible says that when you do that, the, the wages of sin, wages is what we earn for what we did. The, the, the earnings of sin is death. This is not a sorry. This is your soul at stake. This is hell at stake. This is a shaking your fist at God. So you have, in your sin, sacrificed your life, your spiritual life. It is egregious. It's a disaster spiritually that you rebelled against God. And that's not a, it's okay. There has to be an atonement. There has to be a payment. There has to be a restitution. Now, in the Old Testament, what God did to show people what a big deal this was is he put in what we call a system of sacrifices. And there was a sacrifice called the atoning sacrifice. So once a year, the Israelites would come before God on the day of atonement, and they would make atonement for their sin. Let me show you this passage in Leviticus, because it, it's tied to it. Here's Levit Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood... And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Ready? It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Really, really big deal here. For the life of the creature is the blood. Our blood is our life. You lose your blood, you lose your life. The life of the creature is in the blood. I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. What God said was this. It takes a life to make atonement for a life. You have sacrificed your spiritual life in your sin. And the only way to purchase that back to make atonement is to offer the blood, the life, for the life. It takes a life to purchase a life. So to, to cause this to sink in with the nation of Israel, what God would do is this. He would have them go 
and make an, a sacrifice, preferably a lamb. And they would go and they would get, in, in the ancient world, what was most valuable to an Israelite was their livestock. And they would find a lamb and they would take their very best lamb, a spotless lamb. If you're a farmer or if you're a, a dog breeder like Heidi and I are, you know, if you have like the perfect animal, what you do is you build your line off of that. It's incredibly valuable. They would take that incredibly valuable thing and they would bring it to the temple on the day of atonement, the spotless lamb. And the priest would take that lamb and slit its throat. And the blood of the lamb would be sprinkled on the altar of atonement. The lifeblood of the lamb was given because the blood was the atonement for the sin. It took a life to purchase a life. And God looked at Israel and said, you, I'm gonna command you to do this because you must realize that you're, you're not just a good person who lost your way. You're, you're not just, a, oh, I did it, oops, I did it again, right? No, 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 you rebelled. You did it on purpose. You have destroyed your soul. You've destroyed the people around you. Your sin is, not, it, it affects your kids, the third and fourth generation. It affects your friends, your roommates. It is devastating. Atonement must be made. The blood of the lamb must be shed to take away, to make atonement for your sin. See? And the repentant person would look at God and say, you are so good and merciful. I'll do anything to be back in close and tight in with you I repent, I give the best of what I have. And when atonement was made, restoration occurred. Your sins are forgiven. My face turns back to you. We can interact freely again because the life was given to purchase the life, right? Now, if I was helping you process this. If you said, Jeff, what am I supposed to do with all this? I give you a couple things, okay? Here's, here's the first thing. I will look at this whole pattern. Repent, rebel, uh, be reconciled, right? That whole pattern, be restored. And I would look and I'd say, okay, Israel is, is an example of me. I should see myself in Israel. Don't just interchange it. Your theology will get wacky right? You'll be on TV telling people they can have whatever they want. Don't do that. But you can definitely look at Israel and say, oh, the pattern of the nation is the pattern of the person. I'm like that too. And we are, aren't we? I'm all amped up. God, I, I want to never do that again. I have rebelled. I repent, right? I want to make it right. I do that. I've been restored. 37 minutes later, I've rebelled again, right? So this, what I see in this pattern, I see what, where I need to be with God. I, I need to be, an, uh, I'm in a dependency with God. I confess my sins to God. By the way, I make this a pattern in my own life. Uh, it, it's, whenever I catch myself sinning, I want to immediately repent. I want to clear out 
that, that barrier and that noise between me and God. And then knowing that I am a sinner by nature, I take time every day and, and my time with God, my prayer time and time I just try to spend with God. And when, I, when I'm in my time with God every day, the first thing I do is repent of my sin. I ask God, I'm like, show me. Because I, I, I wanna be as close to God as I can be. So I make that a pattern of my life, okay? And I pick that up from Israel. That's, that's one thing. Here's the second thing I would say. Whatever affects our relationship with God affects our relationship with people. So most of the time, we sin against God by sinning against each other. We sin against God by sinning against each other. So when I look at that relationship with God, I want to look at my relationship with people, and this is the way it works. When you sin against somebody else, your relationship with them will never be healed unless you repent. Because their ability to forgive you is tied to the depth of which you repent to them. So if you sin against somebody, you walk up to them, you go, sorry. They're going to look at you, because we're trying to do this in our culture, we're going to look at you and say, it's all right, and neither one of you mean it. And that sin and that relational break is going to stay in your interaction with each other because it was never actually dealt with. If you want healing in your relationship, if you want to be close to each other again, if you want to be back to the way that you were at first, the path to that is true repentance. And the degree that you own what you did, it gives the degree of freedom for the other person to forgive you at the depths that you need to be forgiven. And as that goes deeper, it becomes real. As it becomes real, there will actually be healing and restoration in your relationship with each other, okay? The reason why that you never got over it, sorry, man, no problem. The reason why you were never as close as you used to be, because you didn't repent. Sorry, honey, I'll never do that again. All right, I don't even want to talk about it. The, the reason why that wound never healed is because there was no repentance. So just like it's a pathway to God, it's a pathway to each other, okay? And the last thing maybe you want to remember is this. Remember that we're talking about an unchanging, merciful God. So, so the idea like I'm going to live guilty forever, don't do that. That's of the devil. That's not of God. That's not what God wants. Restoration, freedom, I'm brought back, okay? That's where God wants to take us. So remember, when I'm going back to God, I'm like the prodigal son whose father runs out to greet him. God's, God's thrilled. He didn't go anywhere. So he's thrilled you're coming home. He, but he, does, he, he wouldn't say, ah, forget about it. No. See, the blood of the lamb had to be offered. Atonement had to. It's a big deal, but it's a great loving God. Now, next week, I can't wait to talk to you next week. You almost got a double sermon this week. I was on a verge, right? So, but, but next week, here, here's the deal. We're going to go back to Isaiah next week, and this is going to get, it's going to be a riot. What we're going to do, what Isaiah starts to say to the people of Israel is he starts to say, listen, there is someone that's going to come that's going to make all this easier. There is someone in about 700 years, there's somebody that's going to come around 
and he's going to be from God. In fact, he's going to be God, and he's going to deal with our sin once and for all. And when you see this person, what you found is that you, you have found the Messiah, okay? And when you see the Messiah, ready? This is, this is the wording, ready? The Messiah is the Lamb of God. He is the ultimate atoning sacrifice. And when his blood is shed, when the Lamb of God, because life is in the blood, offers his atoning blood, you will have life and salvation. Right? It's really, really cool. So I'm going to show you that hundreds of years before it happens. It's called the prophecies. Hundreds of years before they happen. And then we're going to see who that person is and see if we can figure out how to connect to them. Okay? That's next weekend. All right? Okay, that's it. I told, I told you that's our deal on this one. That's our deal on this series. No, no big, I'm not asking you to do anything, right? We made that deal. I, I said, if, you, if you'll sit and listen, then I'll, I'll end it right there, okay? So now you know, now you know what repentance is, and now that, and God wants it, and so that's on the table, and now you have to decide how you want to interact with it and what you want to do with it, okay? All right. I'm going to pray for us. Band's going to come out. Give us a little space to thank and pray. And maybe you need to repent to God. You decide. Maybe you've sinned against another person. You need to repent to them. Maybe you need to accept the forgiveness and grace of God. Right? But you, de you decide all that. But those are things that you could think about and pray about if you want to as we continue in our service. Okay? All right. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you are the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world and so that you were willing to do this for us. And Lord, we rebel against you. When we repent, we confess our sins. You are faithful. You are just. You are eager to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. So thank you for that. What, what a gift. God, I pray that for every individual, you will interact with us very personally right now and that you will press into our hearts, you'll challenge our thinking and, and challenge our, our, our preconceived ideas and help us to see you and respond to you accordingly. So in these still moments, God, as we just sit and we're still and we rest and work with us in that private and personal way. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.